This podcast is sponsored by OneSpan. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is David Vergara, Senior Director of Product Marketing at OneSpan. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you today. It's great to have you here. And uh, with, with David on the show this week, the main topic of discussion will be around passwordless technologies and their usage within banking and fintech space. Uh, we'll chat about the development and evolution of passwordless authentication and the work OneSpan is doing in this field a little later in the show. But first, as always, is our news and numbers segment. This is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So, David, what have you brought along for us today? Yeah, I think that uh, there was a, a neat article about the Lloyds Bank closures that uh, is on FinTech Futures. And, you know, I know when people hear about this headline, it's like no one is falling out of their chair, right, with another bank talking about closures of a branch. But I, I really think that even though this has been happening for some time through digital transformation initiatives, um, you know, obviously accelerated from the pandemic, the thing really here I, I think to focus on is that digital channel customer experience. So in this article, this particular article, Lloyd's was talking about the fact that 15 million of their customers are using mobile banking regularly. And, you know, if I add this to another piece of research that I saw by Ite Noverica saying that uh, it was 65% of consumers are accessing their mobile at least one time per week, it's pretty obvious. So mobile utilization growing super fast, and this is all about convenience. Right. So consumers are used to this world where I think that you can go out and place an order on Amazon in a matter of seconds and you've got your product the same day. Right. So it's this instant gratification. And on the topic of convenience, I guess I would share just a quick story from a banking perspective. And that's that my son's a teenager. So it was an opportunity for him to open up his first checking account. So his first experience with the bank. And uh, we use a regional bank uh, here in the States. And so in terms of the experience, this was like, he had to call up the bank, right? He had to actually schedule an appointment for the earliest one was like a week out. And uh, he had to bring his ID and paperwork. It took an hour to process it live. And then he had his, his bank account and the card was ordered, but the card probably wouldn't, he wouldn't see it again for probably about a couple of weeks. So there's absolutely no reason, I think, for an experience like that today, right? With all the digital security tech, some of which we're going to be talking about today with passwordless, but you've got identity verification, which can verify the user completely digitally now. You've got e-signature, right? Digital agreements that can digitally sign bank documents and things like that. And then you've got kind of like the, the secure authentication pieces of, of this. So for doing ongoing access and, and transaction authorization. So just an interesting story in a time where this is all about digitization and modernization and uh, no experience should be like that. And passwordless, I think, is a, is a great topic to dovetail into that user experience story. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you mentioned not falling out your chair at uh, seeing another story like this. Well, this is 
actually the, the second time in a matter of only a couple of episodes of, of the podcast this season that we've had another bank branch closure story um, coming up in news and numbers. I believe the last one was HSBC announcing that they were the planning to shut 69 of their branches. And this is across the board, right? So this is it's happening across the UK. I think we had NatWest and RBS announcing that they were going to be closing 32 branches. We had that story come out in February. We had another story about TSB planning to shut 70 of their branches as well in November last year. Santander have also announced that they're planning some closures as well. So it is happening across the board in the UK. And I guess it's a real sign of the times really with, with more people moving to digital banks and adjusting their branch strategies. I guess the big question here then is obviously, I mean, there are still quite a lot of people using the, the branch network and, and who are still relying on cash so one what could be done to help them but then two also what do you think the future kind of like holds for, for branch banking do you feel like this digital trend is going to continue to the point where the physical branch network is kind of gone and we've may, maybe got some shared service initiatives and, and, and hubs and stuff and, and everything is just online yeah i mean it's an interesting question i think more and more and obviously there's a generational component i think to this topic as well which is as you move down to the, the younger generations, they've grown up obviously with digital. And so their expectations and the requirements around these experiences are going to be more and more digital oriented. Um, there's going to be, I think in the future, always a requirement to have some kind of touch point physically with a bank. Um, there's more complex things that might have to be done. You might have to have certain types of documents. Maybe that's, uh, well, even I would argue probably mortgages can go through the, the digital process as well. But there's going to be some touch points for customers to need to go into the bank and, and talk to a representative there. But I do see more and more of the services going digital. And there's a lot of reasons for that. From a bank perspective, certainly the operating costs come down as you serve more customers in digital channels, predominantly mobile, obviously, is, is the big one now. So from a cost perspective, that's an obvious one. From a user experience perspective, getting back to this instant gratification, as a consumer, I expect to be able to open up an account in a matter of minutes, right? I don't want to have to schedule something for a week out and, and go slog out to the branch and sit down with somebody for that type of experience. So, But there are going to be some touch points that are going to be required. But I do see that this is going to grow. And I think that as the younger generations start to kind of move up, uh, it'll start to kind of put more pressure on, on uh, modernizing, creating more digital experiences at banks. Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. We're going to dive into the main topics in just a moment, but as always, to start with David, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you've been up to at OneSpan. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm head of security product marketing at OneSpan, which basically means that I've got um, all responsibility for our go-to-market strategy and execution for our authentication, which includes risk-based authentication, passwordless, MFA, 2FA, hardware-based tokens, and so forth, but also including our risk analytics capabilities as well. And obviously, mobile security kind of complements that as well. Okay, thanks for that, David. So 
main topic of this podcast then is going to be looking at um, passwordless. So to get us started, then, can you describe what passwordless authentication is and what kind of technologies this term is encompassing? Yeah, surprisingly enough, um, there's differing views on what qualifies as passwordless authentication. But, you know, the way I think it's commonly seen is that it's any method that doesn't really rely on a password, obviously, or a knowledge-based secret for secure access, right? So I've actually seen some articles and, and some folks talking about technologies like SMS, uh, one-time password, or OTP as passwordless because it's, it's not using kind of a traditional password but it's still using a one-time password, right? So for me, it doesn't fit that definition. Uh, password list to me is more using technologies like biometric capabilities or push notification. There's even technologies around QR scans, uh, secure encrypted QR scans is uh, the technology that we use. And so these actually can kind of be pulled together in such a way and configured and deployed to support more of a true, what I'll call a true passwordless experience for customers. So I think that the reason that I kind of poke holes in the, the SMS OTP is that it's kind of widely known as, as a weaker kind of authentication as well, right? So it's widely you know, reported that uh, can be compromised via the, the SS7, so the network side of the equation. So that has vulnerabilities in it, but it's also vulnerable to SIM swap attacks where hackers, fraudsters are able to kind of social engineer their way into to getting a SIM uh, reprogrammed and, and issued to them for a phone, and they're able to obviously intercept um, messages coming to that phone. So to me, it's definitely a weaker kind of approach. So I guess with this said, I mean, it's not completely surprising that most businesses aren't totally clear on what it is. Um, and I'll share kind of a, a funny data point, which I saw this report, and I couldn't believe it, but it showed that Last year, there were uh, a number of like the vast majority of customers, business users that were interviewed actually thought they were using a passwordless authentication solution. But when clarified, uh, determined that they had not been using a passwordless solution. So it was like something like 60 something percent of, of those business customers that were surveyed. But in the same token, that same survey showed that those customers felt that that passwordless and, and strong security were critically important to the operations of their business. So I, I just thought that was an amazing data point to see. Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. And I mean, you've touched on it there in terms of the security, I guess, of, of passwordless. So why is, is passwordless authentication then more secure than traditional passwords? Yeah, I really put this in three buckets. And I'm going to start with what I think is the biggest and weakest link, and that's people right? People are definitely, humans are the weakest link in security. If you think about this, consumers are really sitting ducks for some of the most sophisticated phishing, phishing and, and, and social engineering attacks that, that are out there in the wild today. And I think you also have to kind of keep in mind that the banks are the top three most targeted organizations for these types of attacks. And volumes on these attacks for bank customers shot up over 300% in the second half of last year. So it's a right target to go after bank customers with these attacks. And like I said, it's not the, the attacks that you saw years ago where it was fairly easy to see where you might have a suspicious kind of uh, phishing email or uh, a phishing. These are really refined attacks now 
very sophisticated that even professionals in some cases are falling prey to this. So this is definitely one of the main reasons, right, is being able to manage this weakest security link, uh, which is the consumer. I think the second in my mind would be something that I, I always like to say, which is there's no such thing as a strong password, right? So I almost see this as a oxymoron. So too few customers out there, consumers, are using password managers, which means that ultimately they're relying on simple, easy to remember passwords, and they're using them across sites. They've been doing it for years. They're going to continue to do that. It's a path of least resistance. I think many folks outside of the security business as a consumer will follow to the easiest path for them, right? And, and the dark web, keep in mind, has 15 billion stolen passwords available on it today. These are all ready for purchase. So passwords, definitely weak from that regard. Another reason that it elevates the passwordless story. The third area, I guess, that I would say is that there continues to be a wide toolkit, if you will, for hackers to crack passwords. So um, if you just look at this from this huge wave of malware and Trojans that exists against the mobile banking apps, key loggers, there's overlay attacks, there's so many different ways that that hackers can gain access to credentials and, and to passwords. Then you've got more traditional kind of di dictionary attacks, brute force attacks, right? There's a number of traditional tools in the arsenal. And because of all this, I, I always say with enough time, resource, and uh, motivation, I think it's clear that any hacker can crack any password. And I think that this is supported too. I know Verizon came out with their uh, data breach report Midpoint, maybe it was a later part of last year, and uh, stated basically that 61% of the data breaches that they're tracking used unauthorized credentials, right? So obviously, a lot of these passwords are, are making it into the dark web and to, into hackers' hands for, for ATO and other types of monetization and attacks. Yeah, you make a, make a strong point there. Um, and jumping back to your, to your initial point as well, the term passwordless can sound simple, but the, why do you think it's so often misunderstood? Well, if you think about, you know, just talking to customers, there's so many terms, so many technologies out there, so many vendors are talking about various capabilities, and it just creates a lot of white noise for banks and, and businesses out there. I mean, you hear about some of the longstanding terms like 2FA, MFA, you've got risk-based authentication, RBA now, that's been talked about for many years. You've got biometric, and then you've got a whole slew of different types of biometrics. So you have facial recognition, fingerprint recognition, you've got behavioral biometrics. These are all, evolve, all evolving on their own paths, right? And then you've got FIDO that's kind of showing up, especially within the passwordless realm, SMS, push, all these different kinds of terms, tech that exists out there. No surprise that this is confusing for businesses. But the way I guess I portray passwordless is that it's not like a solution in and of itself. I see this really as just how the authentication technology is deployed to create a true passwordless experience, whether that's kind of secure online or mobile banking login, whether that's the transaction authorization the bank customer moving funds or other types of transactions, right? It could be a non-monetary transaction that has to be secured, like, you know, maybe a beneficiary change or something like that. And I think that one common misconception is that if the username and password fields are not visible, then there's something wrong. And so there's this almost expectation, this behavior of consumers to some degree that 
by not having that, it's not secure. So it's like a psychological component to it. But increasingly, I think, you know, security has become more invisible to the customer. But going back to the survey I mentioned a bit ago, uh, the majority of businesses who thought they were passwordless are still using these methods based on secret sharing, such as SMS, you know, OTP. And nearly 20% had no idea or were unsure whether the solution was passwordless at all. So again, I guess I'll make the point that there's a lot more education that has to be taken by banks and businesses to really process what true passwordless is, but also aligning it with the bank user segments. Each bank user segment is going to have different expectations, different requirements for different things that they want to do in interacting with the bank. And I think that's so important for banks to kind of take in as they're evaluating a, a passwordless approach. Yeah, and, and on that point, then where would you say that passwordless authentication is gaining traction within banks and financial institutions at the moment? Clearly, the BDE, the workforce side of the equation is moving much faster than B2C. I think This is what I've seen and heard is that most of this is likely due to the fact that you've got a captive user population, right? If you're talking about your enterprise uh, force and uh, it's safe to kind of test and deploy these technologies and get a read on what that user experience looks like. Although I will say that the, the B2C, the consumer side is gaining interest and traction, certainly for the common use cases like online and mobile banking login, the transaction authorization, like I was talking about. And there is a lot of interest in open standard technology like FIDO. This has a lot of momentum. I've particularly seen over the last couple of years um, the interest rising in APAC, but I think this is clearly moving across the EU some degree in North America. And if I think about passwordless in terms of the technologies that are being deployed today, certainly biometric is leading the pack. Device native and third-party biometric is important. So this is either facial recognition, but it started obviously with kind of a fingerprint scan. Um, and we're seeing more deployments of push notification. These are kind of the more popular technologies that have traction with banks. Excellent. And you kind of stumbled on my, my next question there. And so from the consumer's perspective, passwords have been the de facto authentication choice for as long as certainly I can remember. So Would you say the majority of consumers are ready to adopt biometrics or or other passwordless technology at the moment? Yeah, I think FIDO has been helpful in in really evangelizing the story. So I think you're starting to see more and more of that, especially as as an open standard like FIDO is able to essentially leverage their APIs to allow websites to update their login pages to add FIDO authentication support on the browsers. I think their approach to the client uh, to authentication protocol enables other kind of external authenticators. So think about you know, security keys or mobile phones to authenticate to the desktop applications and web services and so forth. So they're making it easier. And that's why I say that I think we're seeing a lot more interest around that kind of approach. And that fuels, I think, interest by consumers as well, because the more platforms that are supported by uh, passwordless options like FIDO, the easier it is for consumers to adopt these technologies, particularly when they see that they have, when it's convenient to do so, number one, right? But also when they have a kind of a higher concern for any kind of, of fraud that could be tied to an account. An easy example of this would be, you know, a high profile individual is looking to protect their Gmail account. Well, Google supports FIDO today, right? So it's easy for users to leverage a security key for two-factor access for Gmail. 
That's just one example. But, you know, there's other popular tools and apps that uh, support FIDO. I mean, you've got Dropbox, GitHub, Twitter. You know, there's many others that are just starting to support this. And that makes it so much easier for, for consumers to adopt it. Okay. And with what you've mentioned so far, then, why should today's banks and financial institutions uh, look to move towards a passwordless approach to authentication? Yeah, I think it goes back to some of the points that we've talked about. I mean, the first one is, well, like aside from the fact that the analysts talk about it, right? So Gartner you know, predicts, I think, 60% of global enterprises and 90% of uh, mid-sized enterprises um, are going to implement passwordless in more than 50% of their use cases, right? So that's over the next couple of years. So, I mean, the analysts obviously are hearing from banks and businesses about this already. But setting that aside for a moment, I go back to kind of the some of the, the three areas that we've covered, which is reducing fraud. I think fraud mitigation, exposure to fraud is, is a big one, especially when it comes to preventing social engineering. So the phishing and vishing I was talking about, which fuels the account takeover. That's, that's a big one, right? But I think an even bigger one is improving the user experience and growth. Because when you drive a better experience for bank customers, that's directly tied to growth. And by the way, all the research now is showing that banks are prioritizing growth initiatives over pretty much anything else. In fact, in many cases, banks are willing to write off some degree of fraud as long as it doesn't hamper the growth of the bank. So in this case, you know, passwordless is designed to enhance that user experience. That's what it's all about. And I will say, though, that with, that, with this point made, it's important to note that in some scenarios, a degree of friction is expected. And it can still be passwordless. So as an example, if I'm accessing my retirement account, right, maybe I'm transferring funds, it's going to make me feel better if I can actually see some security in action. A completely secure passwordless solution is absolutely possible. So somebody could, a bank could leverage risk-based authentication. Maybe they're leveraging behavioral biometrics, which is looking at how the user is conducting their swipes on the, the mobile phone, the pressure on the pad, the angle at which they hold the phone. I mean, there's just so much data out there to validate a secure device and a secure user that you can truly make that passwordless. But it gets back to the psychology and what some customers, bank customers, expect and when they expect it. So there is a time where some seeing some signs of security are a good thing and it makes customers feel better and others maybe if i'm doing a balance check i'm not expecting to see so much of the security in play right so that's just about the experience piece of it and then the other thing i mentioned earlier was reducing operating costs there's been research about how much passwordless authentication costs businesses there was one study that was conducted that showed passwordless going passwordless can save a company 1.4 million in costs over conventional password-based authentication. And 534,000 of that, I think, was over the conventional authentication help desk costs. So so just the, the password resets and the password management piece of it, these are big sticker prices for, for banks to have to deal with. And certainly reducing those operating costs is, is an important initiative for them. Well, yeah, you certainly make some good points there. And building on that, then, is there anything blocking the adoption of, of passwordless tech for, for banks then at the moment? Well, I think going back to, I mean, the, the points I was making about the bank segments and the user population and what their expectations are, I think that's one thing that, that banks have to be 
mindful of is to make sure that they understand what those expectations are as they consider and evaluate passwordless deployments. I think the other is how do they look at this journey, right, of, of going to uh, passwordless? Because banks aren't going to do a hot swap or it's not a flicking a light switch and you're, you're into a passwordless environment. You typically have to look at what your current platform supports, how you might be able to start to inject and transform the platform to be able to make a move into other technology. So the journey could be going from 2FA to multi-factor authentication to an RBA solution, which supports passwordless. It could be, you know, a bank that might be in Europe that's anywhere in Europe is supporting a hardware token today, but is looking to round that out to another authentication technology. Maybe they're using SMS OTP, but they need to be more secure. So FIDO and other related biometrics are being considered. There's, it's a journey, it's a process. And each bank is at a different point in the way that they look at that journey and that process. Um, but look, any step that a bank makes in terms of addressing the user experience, the security and, and the fraud mitigation piece of this and the operating costs is a win. It's a not a hot swap kind of thing. And it takes some time, obviously, to get there. And speaking of time, then, so just to round things off, what do you think the, the future looks like for passwordless tech? Then how do you see the tech evolving? Yeah, I've seen so much interest in the open standards like FIDO that I've talked about that I, I certainly see that that's going to win over the long term. It's proven technology. It's easy to deploy. There's no proprietary tech lock-ins, right? So banks and other businesses have the opportunity to, if they're using tokens, for example, they can use a number of different types of token vendors and they, they have more negotiating uh, power in doing that. So OneSpan could be one of those providers. But there's a number of other, you know, FIDO certified providers out there. So I, I do think that the open standards is, is a big part of this. And like I said, the, the future to me goes back to that, that journey, that evolution. Because I think that's so important as banks are looking to do this. It's a step-by-step kind of process to begin to address the issues that are kind of front and center in the bank. So, for example, many of the banks that we talk to might be starting with a rework of their uh, the mobile banking application. And as a part of that work, you've got the, the product managers, you've got the digital managers within the bank and so forth that have an interest in looking at what the user experience is, how they're going to secure that app, whether they think that they can secure the app, for example, you know, themselves, or if they have to rely on other technologies like application shielding to fully protect the application. There's a number of things that get looked at during that process. And and authentication and the approach to passwordless and what authentication technologies are used seems to be front and center during that because it's tied to, again, the user experience. And they want to make sure if we're putting all this, these cycles into uh, a new banking application, we want customers to be able to, to do conduct more services with the bank via mobile. We want to have the best possible experience, but we also want to be able to manage fraud. Yeah. 
Here we are in part three of the podcast. This is the FinTech Gel section. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We will then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already in there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Of course, our guests can argue to free one of the previously incarcerated terms. So, David, what buzzword or trendy topic do you wish to discuss today? I'm not going to be shy about this one. It's strong passwords. I, I just, to me, as I mentioned earlier, this is an oxymoron because of the fact that the passwords are inherently weak. So to hear about a strong password to me makes absolutely no sense at all. And like I mentioned, you know, given the time, the resource and motivation, hackers are going to be able to crack passwords. I, I gave a number of examples about this. Social engineering is running rampant right now. It's easier for, for hackers, bad actors to be able to get these credentials from consumers You've got so much mobile malware out there, so much of the traditional kind of dictionary brute force and other types of tools that hackers have to get passwords. There are going to be some out there that will talk about the fact that you can make a password more complicated. You can use a combination of numbers and characters and and letters and, and so forth or phrases and things like that. And yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's a more complicated password, but that is absolutely not impervious to a social engineering attack. Because ultimately, if, if again, going back to the weak link, the, the person, the consumer is duped, they're going to hand over that password, however strong it is, right? So to me, it's clearly strong passwords. I absolutely want to lock that one up for good. Nice. Well, yeah, certainly, certainly on brand there, David, I think, with that one. Um, you definitely make a whole bunch of really, really good points there. And I, th- I guess one of the things as well, as you kind of like touched on there as well with strong passwords is how, I mean, for me personally, how frustrating it is now with passwords that you have to put in capital letters, numbers, symbols, algebraic functions, all these kind of different things to hit the standards that, that you need to, to the point now that I just kind of assume that I'm not going to be able to remember my password and right. will just go through resetting it every time that I come to the website, right? So I, I can completely understand that frustration as well. Are, are you hoping then if this goes into the jail, this will be the, the final straw for passwords then and we can make that switch to passwordless? I'm, I'm really hoping so. I do pick up your, on your point about the pain of dealing with passwords and making them more complex. But the other thing I would say is even technologies, you know, there's password managers out there. But just to kind of pick up on this point is that the vast majority, I think, of consumers are not using password managers enough or how they should. And so like we're talking about here, when when that's not utilized, it's impossible to remember all those complex passwords. So consumers are always going to revert back to the path of least resistance or do worse things, right? Which is post-it notes and other places that they're writing these uh, these passwords down. So to me, like I said, I do think that this should be permanently locked up. Yes. Yeah, I might have to start looking into password managers myself, actually. It might, uh, might be a help. But um, yeah, I completely understand the argument here. I think it's safe to put strong passwords then into the jail and then later, later point, if somebody wants to fight for the uh, the, the password, <laughs> then um, they, can, they can attempt to bring it out. Perfect. Well, that's all we have time for for this episode. Thanks to David for joining me and, of course, for OneSpan for sponsoring this podcast. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and, of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech, but until then, goodbye.